Hello and welcome to the 94 Feet Report MBA podcast. I'm one of your hosts, as always, Eric Spiropoulos. You can follow me on Twitter at Eric Spiros NBA. We have a little, a little bit change of schedule. Um, we have we're recording currently. It's 8:20 uh, p.m. Eastern Time on Friday, January 12th. This will be going up later tonight or Saturday morning if you're listening to that. This will replace our Sunday night slash Monday morning segmented episode, and then next Thursday, hopefully, we'll get back to our unedited kind of quick 30-minute episode, and then the following Sunday, we'll get back to our, our original schedule. But this will be a segmented episode, you know, going from the baseline to the end one, um, talking about a lot of things. The NBA. It's been a while, so we got. A lot to talk about today. Um, just to remind you briefly before we bring on Corbin, we are still brought to you by Draft. Use promo code 94FEET, all caps, to get free entry into a paid contest with your first deposit. Check out Draft. You want to have uh, if you want to make your NBA viewing experience even more interesting on a nightly basis. It's a lot of fun. Um, but enough about that, Corbin. How are you doing tonight? Hey, pretty good, man. Pretty good. Happy back on. It's been appreciate you waiting with me during a long layoff. <laughs> I mean, you know what? That's only led us to have more things to talk about. Whenever you take, you know, the NBA is so great because unlike the other sports that have maybe one game a week, you have so much to talk about that so many things could change in like two to three days. Like the Cavs can go from, eh, it's okay, to hot flaming garbage in literally two days. <laughs> Look at you being prophetic. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Uh, all right. Well, with that being said, now we're getting ready to go on the way. I have a good – well, I, I think it's a good question, but it's the baseline. We're going to get to it. You know. And now it's time for the baseline. We're, yeah, I want to say – it's safe to say midway through the year, right? I'm not really certain of the exact date, if yeah, you will. Yeah, I, actually, but, I right? actually think the majority of teams have played, I think, 41 games, yeah. Okay, so we're there. Good. And so, you know, I know on this show, Eric, you're generally very positive, and I hate to be a negative Nancy, but this was inspired um, by a great article I, you know, a couple of weeks ago, which I really liked, and I wanted to get your take on it. But who has been the worst free agent signing season? And so I have a few candidates, and if you have any more, any more you can name them, obviously. But I'm going to go through these real quick. Patrick Patterson. He signed for three years, $16 million with the Oklahoma City Thunder. Unfortunately, right now, he is shooting 36% from the field, 35% from three, um, and is averaging a career-low 3.8 points per game, along with a career-low 14 minutes per game. Next, I have Cristiano Felicio, who agreed to four-year, $32 million, um, basically a re-signing with the Chicago Bulls. Currently this year, he is averaging 3.8 points in 14 minutes per game, and he was, as of last week, playing the Bulls G League, but I did see him in that double overtime game against the Knicks, so he's been called back up, and he's been with them now, but he ranks 11th in defensive win on a Bulls team that is not really on the contenders for best defensive teams. So that is something that is is um, you know a knock on him there. Um, the next one I have, uh, I have some personal vested. Mr. KCP, Contavious Caldwell Pope, will he sign him for one year, 17 million? Not we, but you know he spent a third of it, you know, in some sort of restriction, and he had his whole um. Con- because he was in jail, you know that that that, that just sounds funnier the more I say it. But that happened. so, and it's a little less funny. But he's averaged just 11.8 points per game as a starting shooting guard while shooting 40% at field and 32% from three. And trust me, it is not for lack of his putting up shots. If I see another transition three, 17 seconds left in the shot clock, I think I'll blow my head. I really don't know. And I have the unders, um, the Heat already knew about his ankle issues and. Recently, I think this week, um, it was announced that he will be taking season. Also, George Hill, Danilo Gallinari, and Ben McLemore. But um, I wanted to hear who you thought was the more the most disappointing for this season. So I'll go out right away and say I have Felicio as the most disappointing because I mean you mentioned it. The guy's not even playing, and you know he had some he had some moments last year. Towards the end of last season, he had some moments, but. You know, was that worth giving a four-year, $32 million contract? I mean, he's pretty young, but, you know, $8 million a year, you know, let me say, oh, in today's cap, you know, Joakim Noah's making $17, um, Yamihimi's making over $16 million, blah, 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 but 
for a guy who's not even playing, spending most of the time in the G League, you set out bad he is defensively. He's barely playing when he is on the NBA roster active. Um, and to give him, you know, the, not only the $8 million a year, which could be going better spent to someone else as a team that's rebuilding and looking for pieces to attract for the future, but the, the length, you know, four years. Can you even trade off that contract anymore? Let's say in, you know, two, three years, maybe the Bulls want to compete and they need like five to $6 million in cap space to acquire or sign a, a decent kind of role player veteran but they have this Felicio contract for eight million dollars still left over and the guy's not even playing and he hasn't really developed in the G League and you're basically stuck with this contract which is my concern um, because you, you don't really give someone a four-year deal for eight plus million dollars a year after you know having a couple of good games last season so I'm gonna go with Felicio but I do think that the waiters contract is should be talked about more mainly because as you mentioned the heat he was on the heat last season and he dealt with some ankle things last year and over the offseason there were rumors that he was thinking about you know how to treat his ankle properly that means the heat organization knew about his ankle issues yet still gave him this four-year deal I believe it's, it was like four years, 42 or something like that. Um, if I'm not mistaken, I'll, I'll look it up in just a moment. But, you know, the fact that they knew about the ankle issues and either A, didn't tell him, hey, have the surgery now, um, or B, said, uh, you can do whatever you want and we'll still give you this money, that is pretty kind of, that's pretty concerning in my opinion because it's 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 like almost like negligent. Like you're going to spend, you're going to commit this amount of money in this four years to a guy who has, you know has ankle issues and you know is a guy who doesn't really know what to do with them. You didn't even tell him the best case would be to have the surgery in the offseason. Maybe he could come back by, you know, January, February. Instead of now, he's missed most of the season already and now he's going to miss the rest of it. So I think that I have Felicio first. I have Waiters second because of them knowing the ankle issues. Um, you know, obviously Gallinari, it, it was, I didn't like the contract when it happened because we all know about his injury risk and, you know, committing three years, 20 plus million per year for Gallinari seemed just like a, a, a waste of money really and just a, a kind of a rushed signing for a small forward, which is obviously something the Clippers lack for almost all of Chris Paul's tenure in LA. Um, and I'm not going to say Patterson yet. I think that he had this knee injury um, in the offseason he was recovering from. So I think that, while I'm not going to say he's going to play much better in the second half of the season, I think he could definitely step it up. And I still think that come playoff time, he's such a useful player who can hit the three, but also be good enough defensively to switch and play a small ball center if they have to match up with a team like the Warriors or potentially the Rockets. So ultimately, Felicio's first, Waiter's second, Gallinari third for me. Wow. You pretty much put that in nice knee, Bo. I was going to say, I think uh, Felicio would definitely be first for me because that's a lot of money. And Garpacks had to making poor decisions, you know, fiscal irresponsibility, but that was a little bit more glaring than most. And I'm going to put Contavious Caldwell-Pope only because I'm a Lakers fan and that was ridiculous, and I figured a lot of thought, hey, I thought he was going to be a boon for us, you know? He just needed more of a role. That was what I was thinking. In Detroit, he was okay. He relied upon to to help Lonzo along as someone who could take over superior defensive matchups and yet still hit the three and maybe have more of a starring offensive role. And to kind of see all that come into play is slightly disappointing for me, so that's why I put it there, more personal aside than anything else. George was weird because apparently there was a, a mix-up between what ownership and management thought was going to happen and what George Hill thought was going to happen as far as expectations for playoffs or whatever and that's kind of rough to but, hear but wait, wait hold but, um, on sorry i don't yeah. want to interrupt you but huh? let's be real here if you're gonna sign with the kings can you, <laughs> how can you possibly expect them to contend i mean even if they were trying to contend it's the Kings, so you know they're gonna probably mess it up anyways I, i'm glad i'm glad that you interrupted me to say that i was trying to say with a straight face as possible <laughs> but I mean, obviously, he's been for whatever reason. I agree with you. It is the Kings. They've shown nothing in the past seven, eight. Okay, we can go back to the past ten seasons to prove that they have any sort of competency at at the front office spot. But for you to give George Hill that kind of contract, and it's not actually that bad of one, to be honest with you. But for you to give him one, and then he did think, oh, we're trying to be surrounded by um, top. You know, we're trying to make a playoff run or this or that. Obviously, they wouldn't have made it. But the point being that there was a uh, a lack of, let's just say, um, clear communication when it came to that in the offseason. But you're right. You made that very clear. But, yeah, that's up there with me. And then I think, for me, Patrick Patterson is one of the more sadder stories because when it first happened, as far as acquiring him, um, acquire, signing Raymond Felton as well, and then acquiring Paul in that trade, he would have made a perfect power forward. But because we brought in, not we, the Thunder brought in Carmelo, 
having Suturu, having Patrick Patterson come off the bench again, as well as the knee injury, he just hasn't really found his way. And it's that it's taken so long, but it is what it is. Where I do feel if he was in a starring role, he would have had to at least produce a little bit more or be um, able to at least get in the flow of the game earlier on an offensive level, especially playing alongside Russell uh, what would be a better offensive fit at the power forward position? Someone who could slot in, hit open threes, you know, do the little things. But I've been dragging on a little too long on this. But I appreciate you coming in and answering that baseline pretty much in as best a way as possible, honestly. And um, I just looked it up. Deion Waiters' contract was four years, $52 million. So he makes $11 million this <laughs> season. And in the final, the fourth year, um, in 2020, 2021, he will make $12.65 million. So it's an increasing salary, which is also a concern. I mean, he's only 25 now, but this ankle injury, I mean, thankfully he finally decided or someone told him to um, get the surgery and really clean it up. But uh, that's why I think that I put him second. And, you know, the George Hill contract is like a two-year deal. The third year is a team option. And by them, I doubt that they're going to want George chill around it's 20 million this year i think it's 18 next year and then it's a team option um or it might be 20 then 19 then 18 i i, I understood the signing somewhat by you know hey we got De'Aaron fox we got a bunch of young guys let's bring in a, a good veteran like george hill let's bring in vince carter let's bring in zach randolph who they also gave a, a two-year 24 million dollar contract but randolph has been pretty good for them so far um while george hill has been pretty d- disappointing i, I got I get the rationale when the, when the signings happened. I kind of I didn't hate on them, but I didn't love them. But I understood, you know, bringing in veterans. Obviously, it was a pretty pricey veteran in George Hill, and you know, two years. You know, they're probably not going to need that cap space next season. So it's nice that they got a team option for the third one. But you know, I still think that George Hill is a good player, just just in the wrong situation. And I guess he was vastly mistaken about what the Kings were trying to do in signing him and, and Randolph and Vince Carter. But yeah, I'm going to go with Felicio l- like you. Um, and uh, you know, let's let's stop let's stop being negative. I think we should uh, move on to the full court <laughs> press, where we will reveal our all star teams in just a moment. Get ready, because it's time for the full court press. All right, for the full court press this week, we're gonna do it's it's kind of that time of year. It's kind of that uh, time of year where everyone's revealing their all star picks or their all star ballots, and I figured you know what for our full court press, why don't we do the same thing? So I think we should start in the east, and um, you know I, I didn't really separate this in any way. I kind of when I was writing down my my uh, my twelve players, um, I kind of just in my mind kind of thought of who who were the easy choices for me. And you know, in terms of easy choices, right off the bat, I had LeBron, Giannis, Kyrie, DeRozan, and Oladipo. Um, I think that all of them are going to make it and are deservedly so. Um, and I, I don't think that'll be the the uh, that obviously won't be the starting lineup, um, but you know, because they can't be more than two backcourt spots. But again, it's not really East versus West anymore. It's just like players picking the teams um but then what, what gets interesting is, is the tougher choices in my opinion and here's what i ended up with i ended up with joel Embiid, ben simmons kevin love Kristaps porzingis bradley beal al horford and kyle lowry um and let me give some explanations on my eastern conference team i think that you know a lot of i think john wall might squeeze in you know based on popularity was, and maybe his reputation yeah. I still think that Bradley Beal has been the best wizard this season. I, I, I Walls missed some time, and Beal has really stepped up as a scorer, you know, a little bit more of a playmaker, a little bit better defensively as well this season. I think he's been the best wizard overall this season, If you, you know, in terms of being consistent, being available, etc. And, you know, in terms of Kyle Lowry versus John Wall, you know, Lowry's you know, maybe traditional stats like scoring have taken a hit, but if you look at a lot of the advanced metrics box plus minus win shares etc um lowry edges wall pretty significantly and then also you have to i, I kind of you know it, it's not it's all-star not all nba teams but i still look at the, at the team record and you know the raptors having such an elite record um uh, pretty much it's third best in the in the league at the last time i checked um or third or fourth best and, and that's significantly better than the wizards and, I, and you know walls missed some time and you know lowry's been consistent and the way that he's kind of taken a step back at least in his traditional counting stats has been really impressive to me but he's still keeping up the production on a permanent basis so those that's my rationale for leaving john wall off and then you know explain you know porzingis obviously he's been slowing down recently he's been beat up and he's been having these comments where he's basically revealing that he's tired and you know obviously that's concerning and he has these kind of tic-tac injuries that really seem to keep him out you know at least a game per week um but he's still the main reason why the knicks are even close to 500 i mean without him I mean, they would be in the doldrums of the Eastern Conference, and I still have to kind of respect that he's been handling such a huge offensive load with pretty good efficiency so far. Um, 
And so, you know, what do you have, I guess, when you reveal your team, I guess you can kind of say where you differ from me um, and kind of explain why you think so. Okay, I'm on a lot of these picks, and I remember saying that when you first started talking, I was sitting there going, hmm, this is kind of similar here. I do have one I'd like to make a case for, and he's someone who, I mean, it's been talked about in circles, and it's almost, I, I, I see a lot of similarities between him on the East, and I know who will get to on the West, but as I'm going to do, there make a case for on the West side, but that's just because I had to say that. But anyway, spoiler alert on this one, I would like to argue for Tobias Harris. Um, this season, he's averaging 18 points, five rebounds, and, and basically just under the game. But he's really been an offensive focal point for the Pistons, who's been madly reliable this season. Shooting 46% from the field, a career-high 43% from three. And yes, the Pistons may not have the best record, but they're right in there in the East, in my opinion. And I feel that he's a big reason why he played all 40 games so far, averaging 32 minutes per game. He's been mad efficient. And I think maybe as definitely, but I feel that Tobias Harris has a case there. So I just wanted to throw him out there, get him in the picture. So who would you, so he'd be a front court spot. So which, who would you, in, in terms of Embiid, Love, Porzingis, and Horford, who would you drop um, to fit in Harris there, do you think? Uh, it, it's, it's hard because... It gets really hard, uh, yeah. <laughs> I can't, it's, it'd be too, yeah, it'd be of a Horford for me because Kristaps has played very well and is deserving in my opinion. And you're not Kristaps is there. I don't know. You can't you can't get rid of Embiid. Embiid Embiid's an all star hands down. There's there's no way. I mean that's not gonna happen. But curve list, like you said, between it'd be between Horford, Brzingis, and Love. Um, I'm gonna say Horford. Uh, actually, see that's one of those I'm gonna keep questioning because like, uh. Because I want to say Love, too, because Love's had some stingers the last couple of games. You know, two points on one and nine shooting a bunch of – but he has been playing in a new position as far as the center rule, and he's been and he's been doing it pretty adequately on, on at least offensive level. And so I do want to give credit for that. Plus, he's on the East. He's with the Cavs. You have to have two all-stars on that front. Yeah, LeBron and, LeBron and Love would have to be in there. I'm going to say Horford. Horford's played well. Horford's been solid, but I don't know if Horford's been above what – yikes – yeah, exactly. This is really hard. Uh, it is because I can't. I'm trying to write him off, but it's like you can't really write off the contributions Al Horford gives. And it's the same solo we've been playing at. Ugh. Exactly, and, and you know, you look at Horford's numbers, and it's like 13.4 points per game, eight rebounds, five and a half assists per game, a block per game. You know, he shoots 42% on threes. He plays, you know, 32 and a half minutes per game. Um, I just think that he is so crucial to what the Celtics do. Based, you know, he's incredible defensively, great defensive awareness. He can spread the floor as a big man. He can a lot. He can play next to Aaron Baines at power forward, but he can also play at center if they need to go a little bit smaller for the Celtics. I think that his veteran presence, his awareness, both on both ends of the floor, he, he's really just a, a positive on both ends, which I think is really huge. And you know, unlike Kevin Love or, or maybe like a Kristaps. I mean, Chris Upps is a good defender, but I think that Horford's awareness and just situational presence of being a help defender is just on a superior level. Obviously, he's you know more experienced at 31 years old, but because of that, like Horford's traditional stats don't jump out at you, but the advanced stats are really good. And just you, you just watch him, and you're like, wow, Horford is the like one of, if not the most important player for the Celtics on a possession to possession basis, which is why it's so hard for me to even think about dropping Horford. You know, I, I think Tobias Harris has had a great season. Uh, he started off extremely well and he's, you know, he's been, you know, good for the past, you know, month or so, but the Pistons being pretty mediocre and I know they've been hit with some injuries. Um, I, I think that it comes down to, and the same thing with the West, it just comes down to there's being so many good players worthy of the spot that I can't find someone to drop for a guy like Tobias Harris. I, I'm with you on that when you say that. I, I, I felt like he was a feel-good story, and I said to myself that if he'd been playing and shooting the same way all season, that I would at least give him a, a chance, you know what I mean, or, or a lobby for him just on this podcast. But you're right. And and with so many players, you're not going to outward. I'm, I'm not going to move. You're right. It's rough. It's rough. And, you're, and it's sad because there are – snubs, all-star snubs, because there are players every year who play just there at that level, but not enough to supplant someone that's already there. I don't know. That's what makes it hard, but also makes it fun, I guess. Exactly. I mean, that, that's the thing with all-star 
picking all-star teams is extremely difficult on a year-to-year basis, and this year is no exception. And, and you move to the Western Conference, and I'll just lay out you know my players. So I had some pretty easy choices in Durant, Harden, Anthony Davis, DeMarcus Cousins, and Steph Curry. Um, and then you get some 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 some. I wouldn't say all of them were tough choices, but some of them were tougher choices, like Draymond Green, Clay Thompson, Jimmy Butler, Russell Westbrook, LaMarcus Aldridge, Carl Anthony Towns, and Paul George. And I think that Butler has been just incredible for the Timberwolves over the past month. I mean, you know, it took him a little bit. It took him a couple weeks to get integrated with the Wolves. He was kind of not sure if he should be the number one guy. And then pretty much either he realized or someone else in the organization realized, you know, Jimmy, you're our best player. You are a crunch time go-to guy. You're still good defensively. And you've seen the Timberwolves, you know, kind of take off recently. And a lot of big part is that Jimmy Butler has emerged and kind of took in that spot as the best player and number one leader on the team. You know, I think that Paul George's defense has been incredible this season. And his shooting as well, he's shooting about 40% from three. And his scoring is continuing to rise as he gets a little bit more comfortable with playing as the number two option behind Westbrook. And, you know, Westbrook has been playing a little bit more comfortable too. And, you know, the Thunder offense is still not great. Um, but it's been better recently, and I think that also contributing to that, they're in, contributing to what they're winning is their defense, and Paul George is a huge reason why. Him, alongside Andre Roberson and a guy like Steven Adams, is a big reason why the Thunder have a top-five defense, and Paul George is a steals monster, and he's playing well on both ends, shooting well, and his, his scoring is increasing. In terms of the front other front-court spots, you know, LaMarcus Aldridge has been flying under the radar because what he's done carrying the Spurs without Kawhi Leonard is incredible. I mean, he's putting up over 22 points per game on pretty good efficiency, um, handling a huge usage without Kawhi Leonard. Obviously, Leonard came back for a little bit, then he got injured again. Um, Paul, uh, Tony Parker missed a bunch of games. And there are you know, just a bunch of other random role players surrounded by Aldridge, and the Spurs keep winning. And you have to give him credit for that, what he's doing. And in terms of Jokic or Towns, I really came down to those two big men and it's really a toss-up for me, but you know, with the Timberwolves improving defense recently, and, and Towns' defense has improved recently, you know, individually. And then you look at the fact that he's still putting up 20 points and 12 rebounds per game with really good efficiency. Um, he has that number two option. He's, he's getting comfortable alongside Jimmy Butler. You know, unlike Andrew Wiggins, who's struggling alongside Butler, Towns has still been really good offensively. He was terrible defensively for like the first month or two, but he's been better recently and the team's defense has improved recently. So because of that, and because the Nuggets are sliding a little bit recently, I ultimately went with Carl Anthony Towns, but you mentioned Lou Williams on your ballot potentially. I want to hear if maybe you have any other different players. I definitely want to hear you Lou Williams case for sure though. I mean, for me, Lou is, he's, I think the Warriors game, actually, I'm not going to lie. It probably was the Warriors game that really put him but for Lou Wimsey playing as well as he has been on a on a Clippers team that mind you shouldn't be sniffing playoff they shouldn't be sniffing playoff um, consideration at all. You know, but because because of where he's been playing with a cast of role players and DeAndre Jordan for most of it, they they've been above water. And I have some stats here, I'm just trying to pull it up while my computer's been so for this regular season so far, he's averaged twenty three points per game. Two and a half rebounds, five assists. Obviously, went up for that career high against the Warriors, and and what was a really good game. That that was something else. But when you take into account playing as well as he has been on a team that really needs every point he can give, you know, at one point in time, it was him and Austin Rivers together that were really sharing the load. But then once Rivers Austin went down, a lot of that was Lou, and he's been playing well and definitely you know six man of the year candidate at one point in time, even though he's doing a lot of starting now. Consider. He's played 40 games. Actually, he's only started 10, so I correct myself there. He's age 31. He's averaged a, a career-high 31.6 minutes per game. He's shooting a career-high 44%. No, he's shooting um, a, uh, tied for his second career-high, um, second in his career, 44% from the – and a career-high 41% from three. And he's just a mad efficient in his scoring – and like I said, going off for 23, still sharing the ball, five assists. He's a combo guard who's been playing above his head for a team that's needed every game, and they're only a game out of eighth. And for me, that is why I consider Williams for an all-star consideration. It's hard. It's one of those uh, the trendy hipster picks, in my opinion. You know, oh, educated fan, you really about a Williams all-star, and you can make an argument for it. You know what I mean? But that's where I'm going. And I've you know, maybe I'm partial because he was a Lakers, a Laker, you know, just a season ago. But I think contribution on a team that really sh- is playing above expectations and the fact that he's going off all these grads, at least be considered. If it was for any other team, would he not be considered an all-star? That's my argument, really. 
My thing is that, again, it comes down to who could you drop for Lou Williams in the backcourt. Obviously, Harden, Curry, Butler, and Westbrook all seem like they're going to be locks for me. And Clay Thompson, I think, you know, is very likely to get in. Now, I guess Clay would be the person I would consider dropping for Lou, and I think that Lou has a very good case. But, you know, I, I'm not I'm not sure that I can – I mean, I think that hmm, – this is really tough because – Clay Thompson obviously is one of the more interesting players to evaluate. Obviously, he's surrounded with all stars. You got a great backcourt guy like Curry, uh, one of the best scores, if not one of the most all-around scores like Kevin Durant of all time. Next to him as well, Draymond Green, kind of being a facilitator on offense as well, and that can kind of mask maybe what Clay does. But you know, his floor spacing, his ability to come off screens, his ability to play defense a lot better than Lou Williams, obviously, all factor into him becoming a, a, being an all-star again this season. And, and I guess you know, when it comes to the Warriors and Clay, it seems like every good they just throw him in there and no one really has to make a case for him and this year I think that someone you know should really make a case Clay Thompson versus Lou Williams and I think that maybe Clay's defense probably and is just the, the spacing he provides and how defenses have to adjust for his gravitational kind of I don't want to say force or pull but the way he when he's on the floor defenses have to always be aware of him and obviously the defenses are aware of Lou as well but as kind of an off-ball threat Clay is a better off-ball threat off-ball shooter and a better defender I guess is what you would look at in terms of making the case for Clay Thompson over Lou Williams I honestly don't think I have a problem if Lou were to make it over Clay I don't I'm not going to pick that but I don't have a problem with it if that were to happen I don't think it will because of Clay's popularity with the fans. Um, but I, I don't have a problem with Lou Williams making it over Clay Thompson. But the other guards, Butler, Westbrook, Harden, and Curry, no way can you drop those for Lou Williams. I get you on that. Now, I have a question for you. Williams and um, Clay are obviously a bit tougher, but what do you think about Clay and Because Damian Lillard's been putting up some good stats in Portland. They've been having an okay season so far. And as up for his play himself, consider Damian Lillard an all-star you know he missed a couple of games with um that hamstring injury if I remember anything that James Harden's gonna miss with his you know what I mean so what would you think about Damian Lillard versus Clay because Clay's been playing well and his fans but it's really just it's Clay Clay's been Clay you know what I mean like I don't know if that's it's obviously also Clay but is it anything spectacular is anything that's gonna knock let's say like I said Damian Lillard out of it or what would about that yeah, I mean, that's the thing. I mean, Clay Thompson's numbers are like are good, but none of them really jump out. Like, obviously, you know, twenty, he's averaging 20.7 points, four rebounds, 2.6 assists. That's good, right? Shooting 45% on threes is incredible. Um, you know, but you look at some of the advanced metrics, and, and Lillard beats him in a lot of advanced metrics as well as the traditional stats that just jump off the page, right? 25 points, 6.4 assists, 4.9 rebounds. On obviously much worse efficiency, shooting 42% from the field, 35 on threes. Um, but you look at the volume that, and he's missed a couple games, as you mentioned. He's missed about six games or so. But he's averaging, he has a 30.2 usage percentage compared to Clay Thompson's just 24. Obviously, Thompson is a better defender, but you look at what Lillard has to shoulder on the offensive end and the burden. Obviously, you got CJ McCollum is, is a very good offensive player next to him, but besides that, it's really their backcourt that's generating their entire offense. And, you know, that's another case where I don't have a problem if Lillard were to make it over Thompson. And evaluating defense is kind of hard, especially for like picking all-stars. But um, I have no problem with Lillard making it over Clay. But you know, either it's either Lillard or Lou Williams. And, and I guess you were the one who brought up Lou and Lillard to that extent. So I'm going to throw the question back at you. It, it, let's say Clay Thompson is dropped. Um, who do you think, Lillard or Lou Williams, You know, would you pick? Or who do you think is more deserving for that spot if Clay Thompson were to be dropped off of it? Uh, I was hoping that wasn't a question I was going to get. That's a good one because uh, – good one, Eric. Um, Damian Lillard to me, I mean, he's one of those players who every season – great play. I mean, as, as well as Lou Williams playing this season, he wasn't an all-star last year. He wasn't an all-star the year before. I think it's maybe circumstances and the level in which he's playing that are making me consider him for an all-star. Usually, he's, you know, a, a perennial six-man-of-the-year candidate. So – uh, I'm have to go, and I'm just gonna go by benefit of the record. As as great as Lou Williams has been playing, Portland has been better, so I'm going to go with Lillard. Uh, it's rough because I really want to give Lou Williams that that shout. He's been a player at age 31, you know, his um 12th, 13th year in the league, you know, consideration for for a, a well played season. Yes, he's not on one of the better teams in the Western Conference. Yes, he's not one of the better teams in the. NBA. But he's really been putting in that work, and and 
his it showed. You know, he's an integral part of that team and the playing of expectations. However, Damian Lillard, you know, for a team that right now if the playoffs did end, they would be in that hunt. His numbers and the way he plays, uh, I guess I'd have to give it to Lillard. I would have to give it to Lillard and I would just in turn lobby for Lou Williams to be six men of the year to compensate for my shortcomings. On- <laughs> I mean, that's the thing. It's these teams every year. All-star teams are extremely hard to, dif- to, to kind of select um, every year. Someone's left off. I mean, Lillard hasn't been an all-star for the past two years and everyone talks about because, you know, the guard spots in the West are just so brutal every season. It's so hard for a guy like Lillard to make it. Um, and this season, it looks like it's going to be very hard for a guy like Lou Williams. Obviously we want to reward Lou for his incredible play and basically being the main reason why the Clippers are still even sniffing up, a potential playoff spot um but i think you know i mean this is a prediction i i, I don't think lou williams will ultimately get it i think he'll fall short um i think lillard and, and clay is, a, is an interesting one but i mean listen it, every year it's hard to pick all-stars and you know i'm kind of glad we just finished up revealing our choices i don't want to talk about this anymore it gets me really more frustrated <laughs> uh, no i get you i'm spare you any more pain here um <laughs> do you want to move on to the three points keep this ball rolling we gotta go to the we gotta go to the half court heave first. Oh my goodness! And I wrote that down. It's in my face. And I wow. <laughs> See, this is what I mean. Slipping up, man. Slipping up on a crazy Friday. This is what I get when I mess up the schedule. My fault. Let's- Court heave. All right. Wow. This happened at least once a podcast for the last three podcasts. I got to get the segments together, Corbin. Get it, get it together. All right. But I'm going to throw my half court heave out there and I'm, I'm up way on you, Eric. But um, mine is for two coaches, one on the East and one on the West. For two, I want to say, I'm going to say, underperforming teams, underwhelming teams with franchises that have possible championship aspirations and that's cleveland on the east and okc on the west they kind of in a mini slump the thunder have lost their last three if cleveland loses tonight i've lost their last three and my half court heave is this if things continue to go as they have for both teams either um for the thunder or the Cavs, i could see either ty Lu or billy donovan by the all-star break, being on the outside looking in for the rest of the season for their respective teams. I don't think with a lot riding on James, a free agent, to a lesser extent, Isaiah Thomas is a free agent, you have a lot of decisions riding for the Cleveland team. I've been, I'm going to talk about it a little later, it, it just touch on it, but they have been looking a lot more vulnerable on this end. It's not just, oh, mid-season blues, we're complacent. Because you haven't really been together all year as far as being that dominant. So you can't really get complacent when you're not really all that good you know what i'm saying they're they're a championship team because lebron james is a pretty good cast but to have these lulls that's that's not going to happen that's i mean it's not that can't really be tolerated especially when you don't have the luxury of saying okay we can bring this team back next year it could be a very different team moving forward so that's one thing and for okc you have the very same thing you got russell westbrook to re-up great you got him for five more years franchise centerpiece all well and good he is 29 you know, the, he's an athletic, explosive guard. Things are going to go on that as far as when. Who knows when the wheels will fall off? Who knows if Paul George is going to come back next year? Ditto with for Carmelo Anthony. So, the team is losing games, and not only losing, but just losing by – they're not even close. And and your coach just shaking their head saying, hey, we just need to follow schemes, follow schemes, just follow my schemes. How long will that go before management – and so that's my half-court heave. And now I'm a – Roll it on over to you, Eric. And and mine is about a coach as well, and it's in the Eastern Conference. It's not a, not for a team that certainly has the championship aspirations, but it is a team that's been very disappointing, <laughs> especially when you consider their their hot start. And that's the Orlando Magic. And I'm talking about Frank Vogel. And I, this is not based on any rumors or any stories, but I think Vogel will be fired after the season if the Magic continue like this, and we pretty much expect them to. Currently. The Magic are on pace for 24 wins, and they're just a half game ahead of the Hawks for the worst record in the entire league after starting 8-4. and four. Um, And you look at the development for young guys, and it really hasn't been there besides Aaron Gordon, and obviously that's been great, but obviously just his development alone is not enough for this team to show promise or for this team to win games. And, you know, the rest of the team pretty much feels the same. And after that hot start offensively, they are now dropped to 23rd offensively, and they're 29th defensively. That, that's just absolutely 
absolutely abysmal. And you look at last year. Last year, they were 28th offensively and 22nd defensively. So, you know, they went from 28th to 23rd on offense, but they went from 22nd to 29th on defense. So you give a little, you, t- you, you know, you gain a little, you, you fall back a little bit, and that's what they're doing. And, you know, most importantly, I think, in terms of whenever, whenever you evaluate why a coach was fired, Oftentimes, it comes down to the coach not being hired by the management. And the Magic brought in a new front office in the this past summer, the 2017 summer, and Vogel was hired a year before that. So Vogel wasn't the quote-unquote guy for this new front office, which gives them a lot of reason to fire him after a disappointing season, in which case the team actually regresses, and a lot of players don't develop, and they take a step back in terms of wins, and there you go. That's my half-court heave, not based on anything that's actually come out in terms of rumors or stories, but you just look at the way the Magic have played, the lack of development, and the fact that Vogel wasn't hired by this current front office regime, and you get a recipe for, for a perfect uh, coaching firing in the offseason, and that will be Frank Vogel. That's my half-court heave of the week. Nice, short and sweet, a little bit negative for us again. First segment negative, third segment (laughs) negative, but you know what? I'm going to swing it over, and we're going to start the three points in just a moment, and we'll see if we get a little bit more positive. (laughs) And now... Okay, the three points this week. I'm going to get us started, and I'm going to. I'm getting positive. I, I I said I'm going to get positive, and here we go. I think it's just great to see the Raptors killing it. Obviously, they destroyed the Cavs uh, on Thursday night without Kyle Lowry or Serge Ibaka. Um, but then you just look at, take a step back and look at their season as a whole. And I just love that their new offense or, or revised offense, for that matter, with but more ball movement and three pointers. I love that Dwayne Casey and, and the players and management kind of realized that they had to make a change, and they went about making a change, and the players are actually implementing it to great success. So. Last season, the Raptors were 30th, dead last in assists per game, and they were 22nd in three-pointers attempted per game. They were 30th in assists at 18.5 per game, and then the three-pointers, they attempted a little bit over 24 per game last season, ranking 22nd. You turn to this season, they are 11th in assists per game. So they went from 30th to 11th. They're now averaging about 23 assists per game, which is almost a five assists per game increase. And then perhaps the more dramatic one is that they're fourth in three-pointers attempted per game, attempting over 32 per game, which is an increase of over, was that, eight? Um, Which is a huge increase for just one offseason with a team that, you know, obviously they brought in C.J. Miles, which has been great, but, you know, it's it's a lot of the same players. Um, And the fact that this new and revised offense, if they can keep it up and actually implement it and play it in the playoffs, it just sets them up for a longer playoff run. They don't have to rely on ISO ball with DeMar DeRozan and Kyle Lowry, which makes them easy to defend. Hopefully, you know, Lowry's minutes and usage have decreased, so he'll be fresh for the playoffs. And then you look at the fact that either their fundamentals, they're, they have the third-ranked offense. You know, a lot enough people talk about the Raptors. They have the third-ranked offense and the fifth-ranked defense. They are top five on both ends of the floor, and, and that is Again, something that sets them up for playoff success because obviously they have the defense to do it and now they have the new and improved offense that can hopefully maintain and sustain itself in the playoffs. And, you know, some of the, you know, OG Ananobi has been better than expected as a rookie, providing some good defense and capable three-point shooting. CJ Miles has been fitting in well, just chucking threes whenever he gets the ball, pretty much. Fred Van Vliet, um, DeLon Wright, Jakob Podol are all contributing off the bench, um, you know, as semi or pretty young players, which is great to see. And, you know, this all comes up in this, I'm going to sum this all up as, I'm not, cl- I'm, I'm not going to say that the Raptors are going to make the conference finals. I'm close to it. I'm close to predicting that the Raptors will make the Eastern Conference Finals. I- I'm not there yet. You got to give me another week or two, and I, ne- I need to see the matchup with the Celtics again because I think that that's obviously going to be the opponent that they have to beat most likely to get to the conference finals. If things, you know, look it out, they finish the second seed and the Celtics finish first, or vice versa. Um, but I'm close to predicting that the Raptors will make the Eastern Conference Finals mainly because they still have a good defense, but their offense is much improved and. Um, better sets them up for a nice long playoff run. So that's my first point, and I'll kick it to you for your first point of the week. Okay, I'm I'm, I'm gonna feel a little bit embarrassed because you were saying let's be more positive. My first two points are not they're not okay. They're a little negative and they're kind of short, but we're gonna we're gonna keep it rolling. Um, so my first one is the Cavs look more vulnerable than before. Um, we all saw that national televised game yesterday against the Raptors, which was just wow. I was not expecting that as. As you mentioned, you already kind of touched on it, which is the way the Raptors have been playing. And yes, they look much improved, and they, they look like they're going to make a deep playoff run. But come on now. You've been in the final three, four years. You can't be given that type of performance, just sleepwalking, just getting just taken apart. And mind you, this is the way the Cavs have played the last 
couple games, but by couple, I mean like six or seven. It's been kind of rough. They've gotten some wins over like a Magic team and some other you know teams like that for the most part. But when the teams get good, the Cavs get gone. It's kind of how it's been going. And even right now, they're down to the Pacers, which I mean, granted they're not playing Isaiah Thomas, the way it's resting. But geez, Louise, please don't lose the Pacers. Um, but with the, they have it, they have the twenty eighth ranked offense. I mean, deep right now, according to Cleveland Glass. Um. They they really been surprised. Well, thank goodness for the magic because in cases right now their defense. What kind of defense is it? They kind of sleepwalk through it. LeBron James doesn't seem to be interested. I've noticed his younger players. He doesn't really give them any sort of respect. So then when they go off on like a little flurry or and he's like, oh yeah, I do have to stick this person. But he seems to be disinterested on the defensive end, and some of that's also for the offensive responsibility that he has on that end. So we have to kind of call it both ways, but we can. De- Definitely say that LeBron's defense regressed, and it's no longer to the point where LeBron can cover for everyone. This is whether it is a year 13 season for LeBron or a I'm trying to pace myself so that when the playoffs come, I'm ready. But it's not to have a subpar defense around LeBron and LeBron can make it work a la the 2014 Miami Heat, where we're basically the same team as it is now. LeBron and a team full of shooters and, you know, offensive minded players who were not. But because you had LeBron at the end, and he was still in his, in his athletic prime, he was able to cover for you know weak side blocks, um, help on, on on the other on the weak side, things of that nature. That's not there anymore, and so now the defense is suffering. But also, more than that, there's just a lack of effort. You see it off the pick and roll, and, and yeah, they come up to, to stop the bigs, you know, from rolling, but they leave open threes all over the place, and you see their disinterest in getting back. I just it's, it's one thing when. You can do that, and your defense is bad, but let's say your offense is kicking here, and you go, okay, we're not going to stop y'all, but we're just going to outscore you. But lately, the Cavs have had some really bad offense before. All right, so we had some technical difficulties there. Corbin's mic feed just completely dropped out uh, of the call, and we tried to reload Skype twice, and it wasn't working. So I'm just going to continue on finishing up the three points and finishing up the rest of the show on my own. Hopefully by next week's episode, we'll have this all figured out. But my second point of this episode is looking at Chris Dunn and Trey Lyles and why they're pretty much two examples of why not to give up on a player early in their career. So we know Chris Dunn was pretty bad in his rookie season with the Timberwolves, but you look at this season, averaging 13.7 points, 6.3 assists, 4.6 rebounds and two steals per game. The shooting has improved, you know, slightly. He's, he went from a 43% true shooting percentage to about 48.5% true shooting this season. Um, and he has more command of an offense. Oftentimes, that kind of leads him to kind of unravel in crunch time and look for his own number too much. And he'll obviously develop on how to effectively get other players involved down the stretch of games. But, you know, him and Lloyd Markinen have formed a nice little duo there. They're getting Zach Levine back as well. Um, so it's nice to see Don kind of look more comfortable and controlled. And a, a defensive menace, you know, two steals per game is great for a guy in his second season. And then you look at Trey Lyles, and he's exploded for the Nuggets recently. I mean, you look at his last 10 games, 17.3 points, 7.9 rebounds per game. He's hitting 53.3% of his shots. And then for the season, he's shooting 45.5% on threes, and he's attempting over three per game. So not really known as a, as a great elite shooter in previous seasons you know he gets traded to the Denver he feels more comfortable and, he, and he's really just taken over as a guy off the bench for the Nuggets and could feature prominently into their future plans as a, as a stretch four maybe a small ball five um you know, ultimately, you know, he was in that trade. They got the Jazz, Donovan Mitchell. So it's kind of hard to say that the Nuggets really won the trade. But if he wasn't in that trade for the Mitchell and maybe he was just an under the radar trade, people would be talking about this as a big win for the Nuggets, getting a guy like Trey Lyles who can, you know, maybe if he continues, this can be guy a 15 and eight guy who can, you know, shoot 40% on threes. That is extremely valuable in today's NBA. And obviously they gave up the pick that gave that, that gave that Got the Jazz Donovan Mitchell, who's a Rookie of the Year candidate. Looks like a future star, future all-star. But the, the the Nuggets were not completely destroyed in that trade. They got a great quality player for the future in Trey Lyles. And really, this is all to say just to not give up on a player after one or maybe even two seasons, you know, if they're bad or disappointing. You know, some players need a different or bigger role. Some take longer to adjust to the NBA, maybe like a Chris Dunn, maybe like a Trey Lyles. Different roles are huge. Um give them some uh, more time to adjust to the NBA. Um, all of these factors could lead to breakout seasons in year two, three, or maybe even four for some players. And it's really great to see. I love when players that are under the radar kind of just break out. Um, but, you know, Dunn and, and Lyles are two perfect examples of why not to give up on players earlier in their career. And moving to my final point, 
is Steph Curry. I mean, he is Steph Curry is back to destroying teams. So obviously, last Saturday he had that 45 points in just three quarters versus the Clippers, and then you, since returning from his ankle injury, he had games of 38 points in which he had 10 threes, 32 points, eight assists, and five rebounds. Another game of 29 points, nine rebounds, and five assists. That um, Clippers game of 45 points in which he hit eight threes, six rebounds, and three steals, and then 32 points and nine assists. Those are all incredible games. His efficiency is off the charts. He's hitting 53.8% of his three-pointers in those first four games back from his ankle injury. And then for the season, you know, he's, he's, he's up to 28 points per game, hitting 41.4% of his threes. His true shooting percentage is 67.1, which is absolutely insane, leading the league. Um, 29.5 PER and a league-leading 10.4 offensive box plus minus he is at peak Steph Curry levels again and you know he's he's missed the past two games with you know the, another ankle disruption but he's going to be back this weekend and you know he is hitting his groove this month and Kevin Durant's coming back from injury and he looked great against the Clippers even they lost um Clay Thompson you know sat out a game for rest Draymond Green's been banged up a little bit this season but the Warriors could be getting healthy over the, over the next couple of weeks and they could be hitting their stride especially led by Steph Curry who's at MVP level um Curry this season you know if he hadn't missed so many games already I think he He'd be up there in the MVP talks for many people, um, but he still should be in the discussion for just how good he's been on a permanent basis and his production for the Warriors as just a huge gravitational force, a lot of spacing, a lot of defensive attention when he's on the floor. My final point is that Steph Curry is back and he is back to destroying teams. And in just a moment, we're going to go back to being negative, unfortunately, and that's going to be something foul coming up in just a moment. Now it's time for something foul. <laughs> All right, so my something foul, I kind of have two smaller ones. I already talked about the Magic and half-court heave, and but they're still going to be my something foul because after that hot start, they have completely fallen off. I mentioned that they're just a half game ahead of the Hawks for the worst record in the league. They're currently 12-30. and 30. They were tw- They're 23rd offensively, and, you know, remember when they were Magic were top five offensively for, like, the first two weeks of the season and an 8-4 and four start? <laughs> Uh, no, they're 23rd offensively, 29th defensively, and, and the saddest part about the Magic and one of the key reasons why there's something foul is that there's no real young star to have hope or build around. Like Aaron Gordon's development has been really awesome, and you know Jonathan Isaac could be a good player, but are you banking on them being the best player or best players on a good, consistent playoff team? Because I I wouldn't at this point. I think Eric Gordon, Aaron Gordon has been has been really good this season, developing a three point shot, more consistent, and Jonathan Isaac, you know, has the the potential to be a good player, but I'm not banking on them being the best player on a good playoff team, which is what obviously the Magic or any any team really hopes to do. And, you know, this rebuild, again, you know, look, they tried to rush it last year by getting Serge Ibaka. It didn't work out. They traded him away. This offseason has not, you know, they haven't really do anything this offseason. Jonathan Isaac's been missing a lot of time with that injury. They're going to have another top four, top three pick potentially to get another gem in the draft and see what they can do because there's no there's been no real development for outside of Aaron Gordon. Everyone else has been pretty much the same. They still have some contracts that are holding them back like Bismack Biombo. The Magic are just such a depressing and sad franchise in a, in a number of ways. That's why they're my first part of something foul. My second part of something foul is something I've had on this segment a lot this season. That's injuries because there's just again there's been too many injuries this season. You know we've talked about it. You know but Mike Conley continues to be out. Hardaway Jr. just returned tonight. Um, he missed about a month. James Harden joined the list, missing you know anywhere from two to four weeks with that hamstring injury. Lonzo Ball got hurt for a bit. Um, you know it's been nice to see players like Isaiah Thomas and Blake Griffin come back. Obviously Blake came back, then got a concussion, and now he missed a couple games, and now he's back. But obviously, we just want to hope that no stars get hurt down the stretch of the regular season and in the playoffs. Paul Millsap should be coming back soon. Harden should be coming back soon. Hardaway Jr. just came back. Blake and Isaiah Thomas are back and, you know, still resting some games here or there. But hopefully they stay healthy. Hopefully Mike Conley can come back by the All-Star break. And hopefully no one gets hurt down the rest of the season. We don't want to see playoff series with teams that are missing stars. We don't want to see teams fighting for playoff seeding that are missing stars. So injuries, please stay away for the next, you know, two to three months. Um... But because they have not so far, we are going to keep injuries as, again, the second part of our something foul this week. And in just a moment, we'll end it up on a more positive note um, with the and one. Finally, it's time for the and one. All right. For the and one this week, we're going to be... I want people to pay attention to the Heat, the Miami Heat, and their winning streak. 
They've currently won six straight, and they're currently fourth in the East at 24-17, and 17, doing this despite having the 22nd ranked offense, the 12th ranked defense, and 22nd in net rating at, at minus 1.5. That, that's just the indication that, you know, if you look at that team, if I gave you those stats, 22nd offense, 12th defense, 22nd net rating, without their record or what team they are, you'd expect them to be, you know, at best to be 500, and yet this team is 24 and 17, mainly because they are 17 and 7 in crunch time games. Can they really sustain that? You know, I'm not sure, but if they do sustain that, they can make up for a bad offense and a bad net rating and a, and a good but not great defense. And obviously, Deion Waiters out for the year. Whiteside has just returned from his injury. Um, James Johnson has been out. Justice Winslow has been out. And really, it's come down to Josh Richardson stepping up big time, becoming what many would argue their best overall player. Um, Wayne Ellington has been just bombing away from beyond the arc and has been great for them, providing floor spacing and shooting. Goran Dragic has been a solid um, offensive contributor and player, as he always is. But looking up at their upcoming schedule, here are their next five games. They've got the Bucks at home, at the Bulls, at the Bucks, at the Nets, at the Hornets. So four of the next five on the road. But Bulls, Nets, and Hornets are not really teams to, to fear. The Bulls have been pretty good recently. The Nets are always feisty, especially at home. And the Hornets, you know, the Hornets, it's really do or die for them in this home stretch that they have coming up. So you would think that four in the next five on the road is pretty tough, but they can beat most of those teams, especially if they continue to win games in crunch time and they continue to, you know, have a good defense, top 12 defense. Maybe they can creep up into the top 10. But, you know, a couple of tough games versus the Bucks. you know, a home and home, a home with the Bucks. Um, could be interesting. They could split that, but the others, I think, are extremely winnable. And this all leads to the question, you know, the short-term question, can their winning streak extend to 11 games, or maybe even 10 games, hopefully, for them? Um, but the long-term questions is, can this team finish as a top-four seed? And and if so, that'd be just an incredible coping, coaching job by Eric Spolstra, who is considered to be one of the best in the league every season. But the fact that this team has a really bad offense and a bad net rating and, and not an elite defense, it's not like they're the top five defense and a 22nd offense. They're 12th defensively and 22nd offensively, yet they win games in crunch time. They have other players step up when needed to make up for injuries Two guys like Waiters, Whiteside, James Johnson's Justice Winslow. Hopefully those guys can come back and stay healthy to contribute alongside Josh Richardson, alongside Goran Dragic, alongside Wayne Ellington. Kelly Olenek has been really crafty for them and provides different looks at centers at the center position for the Heat. Bam Adebayo has been really good and really impressive, stepping it up recently, especially with other injuries coming out for the Heat. So again, a great job by Spolstra so far. Can this winning streak extend to 10 plus games? But the long-term question with the Miami Heat is can they finish as a top four seed? One of the more interesting teams to, 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 to watch over the next couple of months because this team is stuck salary cap wise moving forward. So this is their team as currently constructed for the future unless they make some dramatic trades. Um, and Zach Lowe had a really great article on the Heat that came out a couple of days thinking about Josh Richardson, you know, potentially becoming an all-star for them and that would help their their ceiling as a team, um, but then also what potential significant moves they can make, packaging Whiteside and Winslow maybe to get a declining contract like a DeAndre Jordan or, or a DeMarcus Cousins. But enough spiel about the Heat future. Just an interesting team to watch, but in the short term, watch their winning streak, and in the long term, watch if they can finish as a top four seed. And with that, that will conclude this uh, disrupted episode of the 94 Feet Report NBA podcast. I once again apologize for the technical difficulties. We usually don't have to deal with this much, this many technical difficulties, but we did. We fought through it. Um, again, you can follow me on Twitter at Eric Spiros NBA. You can follow our site on Twitter at the 94 Feet Report, um, and you can check our website out at 94feetreport.com. We've got some great projects coming up in the future, including The Swingmen which will be a project of the 94 Feet Report coming in the next couple of weeks. Don't want to tease too much. You can check out more on info on our Twitter at the 94 Feet Report. Once again, we are brought to you by Draft. You can sign up using promo code 94FEET in all caps and get free entry into a paid contest with your first deposit. It's a really great and fun way to win some money and also make your NBA viewing um, experience on a nightly basis extremely more interesting and focused and a lot more fun. So, Follow me on Twitter. Follow the site on Twitter. Follow Corbin on Twitter at CorbinFordNBA. Apologize for the uh, technical difficulties. We will be back hopefully next Thursday with an episode. Um, But until then, have a great week of watching NBA basketball. Take care.